Chris Buck Show. It's uncut. It's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck Show starts in three, two, one. Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, October 26, 2022. Welcome to Thunderdome. We're super excited to have you guys. we got a fun one for you guys today. We have a wide-ranging discussion. There's huge news in the industry. It seems like every time I turn around, it's either a big race that's coming up. Uh, we've got a slew of them this weekend. Obviously, the NHRA Nevada Nationals coming up, the second-to-last stop on the NHRA Tour in 2022. Tons of stuff kind of up for grabs up in the air this weekend in Las Vegas. Very exciting. We also have No Prep Kings rolling into their season finale right down here in my neck of the woods outside of Dallas, Texas at the legendary Texas Motorplex. But, uh, oh, and dare I forget, Duck Week is underway as we speak down at South Georgia Motorsports Park in Valdosta, Georgia for No Mercy 13. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about here today. Lots to discuss, lots to digest. Uh, of course, the last couple of days, the talk of town has most assuredly been Tony Stewart, NASCAR Hall of Famer, IndyCar champion, an absolute motorsport legend, getting ready to make his NHRA competition debut this coming weekend in top alcohol dragster at the aforementioned NHRA of Nevada Nationals. Before I get any further along, though, I'm doing my due diligence here, sharing the show, helping do my part to spread the gospel of drag racing, and I would ask you guys to do the same. Join us. Click like, click share, click subscribe. However you're consuming this, we appreciate it. We love to have you be a part of it. I was actually having a conversation with a race team owner this morning, and we were talking about how vital it is to keep these conversations going, keep the energy up, keep the momentum, get people uh, not only, like I said, it's easy to be excited on Friday, right? When we're headed to the racetrack, it's easy to be excited on Saturday. We're running under the lights or on Sunday at high noon, we're getting ready to call the cars to the lanes, whatever the case may be. It's pretty easy to be fired up for those moments, but it's those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays that we got to keep the energy up. So that's the goal right here on Drag Illustrated with the West Buck Show. And we appreciate each and every one of you joining in, being a part of the conversation. If you have something you want to say, here's the here's the time to do it, man. Tell us uh, what you think. We got a, a slew of people piling into the comments already. Um, thank you guys for being here and being a part of this each and every week. But before we get any further along, I want to introduce one of two uh, of my partners in crime. The one, the only Mike Carpenter. Dude, let's 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 talk What's some drag man? racing. What's up, dog? What's on your shirt? Indy 500. I, I oh. got the. I thought we were doing an indie show today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Indy, what do you do, man? Indy 500 is badass. It is bad. You know, speaking of Indy 500, I'm, I'm diverting course here, but there was like 400,000 people or some shit at the uh, one this uh, race this past weekend in Austin. Do you did you follow along with any of that? Man, I didn't. I uh, was pretty busy this weekend, but yeah, it's uh, they've got tons of races or three races in the U.S. now. F1 does and or will next year, but they're called they're still calling Austin the home of F1 in the U.S. So, they're, you know, it's the American Grand Prix. The other one is the Miami Grand Prix, Las Vegas Grand Prix. So it's still kind of the home, the original. And uh, 
man, we got to go one year. It's right. It's too close to you for us not to go. Agreed. How long do you think it takes before the Vegas race takes over the being the home of American Formula One? Because it just I think about no matter what anybody tries. I mean, the UFC's tried to, you know, plant their flag down in Dallas at Jerry's World, right where the Cowboys play. Uh, there have been multiple people and I'm a big Texas guy. It's no secret. Ever since I've relocated here, I tell people all the time I get it. I totally get why everybody is so proud of living in Texas. I am. I get it. I, I The sense of community, the sense of community pride that exists down here, never seen anything like it in my life. But I, I tell you what, man, when it comes to hosting events, it's really hard to argue with, with Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, but how are you going to get 400,000 people there? I, I think yeah. that that's a, the Austin deal coda that's a unique venue where you can cram that many people in but they'll probably make more money at the deal in las vegas because every ticket is going to cost like five times as much as it did at austin i think the most inexpensive ticket that existed for at circus circuit of the americas this past weekend was like four or five hundred bucks right around there i think that that number is going to be likely quadrupled yeah yeah i think the cheapest ticket you'll be able to get to the las vegas grand prix will be probably two thousand bucks man save up now Save up now. It's funny. I'm starting to get like all the notifications in the email because I'm on the Formula One list. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, guys. Um, yeah, I appreciate the invite and reserve you really your reserve be, your premium yeah. experience yeah. now. Rolling out like, the red carpet for us, but I don't know about premium experience. I'm hoping to just get my foot in the gate somewhere. But man, uh, but speaking of Vegas, I think this is going to be a fun thing to talk about today because there's a lot of stuff happening. And i I think that first and foremost. This is a special event. I mean, I know that it's, you know, not the last stop, but it just seems like it has historically been one of these. It's always an exciting storyline. There's some, you know, the points battles obviously coming down to the wire. And one of the reasons I wanted to kind of bring this up or talk about it is how weird is it? And I mean, it's this isn't a huge monumental storyline, but in my eyes, it's significant. I actually mistakenly thought that ProMod was running this coming weekend in Las Vegas. Like it yeah, just it slipped my natural. mind that the season's over for NHRA Pro Modified, and it feels odd to me, like super odd. Because so many iconic moments, I think about Brandon Snyder and Stevie Jackson, um, the Mike Castellana and Troy Coughlin. The, there has been multiple situations with Vaughn Smith and even Joshua Hernandez. The, the championship almost always came down to that last race of the season. And to have it end in Dallas, I'm not saying that that was a bad thing necessarily, but man, what a departure from the norm. I don't, do you think that's something that we're going to see where the NHRA Pro Mod series just really avoids these far flung events to the best of their ability? Yeah. I think if you polled all the drivers and team owners that, as far as would you rather go to Vegas or end it in Dallas, I think this was a, a racer friendly move for travel costs and, the the Vegas race sticks out to me because you used to get a lot of the West Coast guys racing that event. Um, it, we could throw out several names, but back in the day, five, ten years ago, you would see a handful of guys show up that would only, you know, run on that side of the country. And it was once you lose that, you know, why go out there and why make everyone tow all the way out there if this is not a pro class? and the pay is what it is, and the cost of doing this is what it is, it's a tough ask to ask these pro mod teams who are mainly based on the East Coast to haul all the way out to Vegas. And you you have no countdown. You have no countdown, and so you have very little motivation for people that aren't in the points chase to do that. So between all those things, I actually think it's a racer-friendly move. But pro mod in Vegas always put on a show. 
it's Halloween almost always during this race and yeah. everyone's dressing up and got, if you're Bo Butner, you've got a special wrap on your car just for this race. So it's a, it's a cool race. It's got a cool vibe. Um, we'll definitely miss Promi, but lots, lots of other things going on like the Tony Stewart news. Yeah, the Tony Stewart news. I'm seeing in the comments here that it's talk. It, the word is that NHRA may expand to 12 races for Pro Modified next year. I got to be honest. I actually think they need to. I know that it was a racer-driven decision. I think you're exactly right. I think that going to avoiding going to Vegas. That's this late in the season. It's always historically been a poor performer in terms of car turnout, car and racer participation. But do you think there's a threshold for where people? Is there a certain number of races that really deem something being a professional series? I, I feel like this NHRA series perhaps took a step backwards, reducing from 12 to 10 races. Not, I mean, there's another example, and I think that you know there were many of the NHRA pro stock contingent that kind of felt that way when they went from 22 races to 18. Like, oh man, we've kind of, we've taken a step down perhaps in perception we all know that that's not the case but perception wise you're not a full-time program i wonder if there is a a number somewhere in there where you have to be there often enough i I get that pro mods can't be there every race that doesn't make sense but i do think that it perhaps needs to be more than 10 times a year especially when the oftentimes there's some space between those races do do you agree with that that there's like a threshold or a certain number where you kind of start to get you I think you really smack of an exhibition versus well, a because, series. It's because the NHRA is putting on 22, 24, whatever races. And right. by you not being there, it kind of creates this illusion that, you know, you're, you're part-time or whatever. But if you're, if your series like PDRA runs, runs what, eight races a, a season. Yeah. So that, you know, and that everyone pretty much shows up to all of them. And so I think that it's the, the comparison between who's there and who's not with the NHRA schedule is what creates that i don't think there's any number that says you have to reach that to be a championship series um no prep kings has gone to what 15 or 16 races i think with rumor being that it could expand even well beyond that in 24 are you are you still hearing things like that yeah i mean you you never know with these guys it's gonna be interesting this weekend to see how this deal shakes out at the end of the year and what changes we may see for next year what new additions we may see you just never know what pilgrim sam what those guys have up their sleeve um and they're gonna unleash on us next year so we can talk about that a little bit later but um i think 12 12 to 18 races is a is a championship series uh pdra a couple others at eight races those are regional eighth mile deals i i would call that a championship series as well I agree. I do think that there is a number, like you said, I don't know what it is. And I, I think it varies like no matter where you go, it's a little bit different, but, uh, no, I find it very interesting. There's a good question here from drag racing central. What do you guys think about tracks with two races? Um, you know, wouldn't it be more sense to go to new markets? He's specifically referring to NHRA, obviously that visits Charlotte twice a year and also Vegas visits Las Vegas twice a year. Personally, I agree. I, while I certainly understand the desire to go to facilities like that more than once, and I'm sure that you know the owners of those facilities are adamant that that happens when they make that kind of investment. However, I'm kind of of the opinion, like if you've got a four-lane drag strip and that, because those are the events that, that's how you stand out. That's how you do something different. So yeah. if you've got four lanes, it feels like Vegas and Charlotte, if the NHRA is coming to town, you should use them. I'm no sort of four-wide fan, but I do kind of understand the need for, 
I don't know. It's a, that's a tough one. I get it. I get why well, I mean, like I bet just, Speedway like Motors would they'd flip out if there was even a hint of not coming there twice a year, I'm sure. Yeah, and, it, and it's probably part of their contract. I don't know how it how it works, how long the contract or where we're where we're at in the duration of it. Right. But it, it kind of seems like it's something that was a stipulation. And then maybe when that contract is renewed, whenever that may be, that it will change in some way. But right now, it really outside of what Pomona, all the double up races are SMI properties. So yeah. I, I think that that kind of tells you what's going on there. And, and those, those tracks, I think Las Vegas has a little bit more going on, but over here at Z max in Charlotte, they pretty much only turn the lights on at that place for the national events, streetcar takeover, and maybe some testing and a handful of other things. And so I, I feel like it's a, it's pretty core to what they're doing to have two races over there, but it is, it is weird, especially now that you've got four wide in Vegas to run two wide on a four wide track. We actually hear that complaint quite a bit in the fall race here at charlotte and uh and I mean, if we're talking turkey man too. you can tell the fan turnout is dramatically different from one to the other you go out and, there and, in the spring for the four wide and it is something of a uh, cultural happening yeah you you come back in september and you kind of go where the hell is everybody it's Did, much like, more of a mainstream the ads yeah it's a much more mainstream fan base for the four ride because they're there to see a spectacle. And a lot of people I think return for the fall race and are wondering why those other two lanes aren't being used. Uh, just, you know, the casual fan, the casual hard, fan doesn't everybody here is a hardcore fan. We, we get that, but th those races especially draw the mainstream fan, which is what we want. Personally, I see a valid argument that can be made for going to new tracks. I'm a big believer well, that they we've got to get some new markets. Yeah, they yeah, are. Chicago. Going back to Chicago. That's a big deal. I do. There are some of these ones that go away that really, really make me scratch my head. You know, like the, the Houston deal. I'm still a little bit lost on that. That feels like a very, very, very strong racing centric part of the world. I mean, obviously you have a little bit of history of bad weather that time of year in the spring, but still that was like an iconic event on the schedule. And to see that market go away is a little bit surprising, but we're going to, we're going to get way off course here. Let's talk. Let's, um, Let's circle back around, and while we do that, I'm going to remind everybody here real quick that each and every episode of The West Buck Show is brought to you by way of our friends at Redline Synthetic Oil. And I want to read this uh, because we actually have some new things going on with Redline. Redline Oil has been protecting engines since 1979. Their formulas were born in the lab and have been tested on tracks around the world. From 11,000 horsepower nitro-burning engines to 50cc motorcycle engines, they have the lubricants and the coolants you need. Need. Redline's lineup of coolants, gear oils, greases, and motor oils have protected racers and championship quests in all forms of racing. Guys, at Redline Oil, they start with only PAO ester-based stock and engineer their lubricants and <laughs> engineer their lubricants and your protection from there. Here's something cool that we want to share. Hashtag Team Redline Oil is accepting applications for the 2023 season. It's open to all levels and all forms of racing. Product discounts, swag, all the cool stuff for those that are selected. Visit redlineoil.com and on the bottom of the page, click the link that says sponsorships. Click that button to fill out your application. Redline Oil is engineered for enthusiasts by enthusiasts. When you know, you know, log on to Redline Oil and uh, our boys out there, Mark Beatty and the gang down in Houston, they'll take care of you. Mike, um, let's let's dive right into NHRA uh, kind of championship scenarios. I guess maybe do you want to talk Tony Stewart prior to that or do you want to talk championship scenarios? 
Let's talk uh, Tony Stewart and we'll yeah, dive let's into talk championship. Tony. We'll wrap that up. We'll so just, for those that, that don't know, uh, major news over the course of the last week or so that t- a NASCAR Hall of Famer, Tony Stewart, and NHRA drag racing team owner, he fields the team uh, with his wife, Ta- Leah, F- Leah Pruitt in Top Fuel and Matt Hagen in Funny Car. He is making his competition debut this coming weekend behind the, the wheel of the McPhillips family top alcohol dragster. It's an a fuel car injected on nitromethane, a very successful car that has put a lot of people in late round situations, put a lot of people in the winner's circle. There's no doubt that he's in a car that can win. Huge moment for the sport. I don't know that we're ever going to see more people probably talking about top alcohol dragster racing than we are right now. It's a huge, I think, feather in the cap for all sportsman racers to see I mean, I saw multiple posts that Tony Stewart's just his name on the entry list alongside a lot of these top alcohol dragster regulars, mainstays. Really a cool moment. I actually saw an article on ESPN.com earlier this week with with quotes and and thoughts from Tony on making his NHRA debut. And it's we can have a whole separate conversation about how much of a bummer it is that it takes a NASCAR uh, racer. It takes someone from a different walk of the racing life coming to our sport to get us some ink on those major platforms. But nonetheless, I feel like it's a victory yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's the Tony Stewart effect. We've talked about that since day one, uh, the professionalism, the first press conference they ever did, uh, the media releases, the way the cars look, the, the sponsors he's bringing in, he's bringing in mobile one on this top alcohol dragster deal. So this is what it takes. I mean, we're not piggybacking. I don't think uh, I think Tony is genuine. He's, he's into this and he is, he wants to do it the right way. That's what you and I talked about this actually a couple of days ago that he's doing everything the right way. He's not rushing into it. Went to Frank Holly's drag racing school has really sort of immersed himself in it. Um, he takes it very seriously. We saw that with the Travis Pastrana deal, how he really stepped in to relay uh, how, you know, crazy or whatever this is, what Travis was going to be doing. And so for him to jump into a top alcohol car kind of surprised me because I really thought the first time we would see Tony Stewart, he maybe would make some runs, some test runs, you know, behind the scenes away from the national event uh, spotlight. I thought it'd be in top fuel, you know, at some point next year, but to see him sort of jump into top alcohol, I think says a lot for doing it the right way, making the right steps, the respect he has for these cars and for the sport. Um, really it just, you know, what you see on the track or, or in the media versus our actual, you know, discussions with him, this is all real. And that's, that's how he's treating it. It's not BS. He's not doing it for any other reason. And, and that has impressed me. And if he continues on that path, then this, this is going to be so good for the sport of drag racing. I couldn't really agree more, Mike. The The notion, what, what Tony Stewart is doing, his words are powerful, man. People listen to what this man says. And I think that the, the endorsement that he's providing the sport of drag racing by being so detailed with the, the nuances of our sport, he explains these things really well. He, he explains the severity, the, the detail-oriented nature of our sport, all these things that I think so many of us take for granted. Scott Palmer and I had this conversation when we were uh, at the track there in Charlotte, right down the road from your from your house, Mike, when Travis Pastrana was attempting to get his top fuel license. Scott and I were, were kind of shooting the breeze, and it's like, hey, man, all this stuff, staging the car, burnouts, backing up straight, like getting in the groove. Those are words and terminology that are 
we use every day. And we take We've been it around granted. our whole life. We massively take it for granted. But you start throwing that kind of vernacular at Travis Pastrana or Tony Stewart, and they start to look at you like you got three heads. And I think what Tony has done is bring a real air of legitimacy to the sport of drag racing. Hearing him say things like there's no ducks, there's no layups in any NHRA category. Him talking about how he's still to this day, he's made multiple runs in a top fuel dragster, still feels well behind the car. Rick talks about uh, not feeling ready for this moment. I mean, he said it in the article that's actually up on dragillustrated.com right now. I, yep, I was absolutely that. am not prepared for this, you yeah, know, for and this I just weekend. think that that is not, such, not, yeah, not for this weekend, for this weekend. Yeah. And I just think that it's, uh, there was a quote here. He said, it's another example of the first time I've ever driven a new car in a new series. There's that learning curve. Some things are similar and some things are different. NHRA drag racing is so different and drastically different from anything I've ever done. And you're talking about a guy who has done it all. He has been successful at virtually every level, every part of the motorsports world. And to see him treat drag racing like this dragon that he's going to struggle to slay, I find it really, really validating. And I, I hope everybody. Probably, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's drag racing. It's, it's the same battle we've always fought where even a guy like Tony Stewart, he was well aware of drag racing, but didn't pay it any attention. Then, you know, one thing leads to another. Now he's in it and He's like, wow, you know, how, how did I not know about this sooner? I, I would have been involved in it. And that is a big feather in the cap for drag racing. And I think I actually saw a quote. I don't know that if, if it's in our story on dragillustrate.com, but I saw a quote uh, throughout this uh, whole deal this week that said, Tony was excited to do this because it reminded him of the fun of the heyday of motorsports and the, and some of the fun he's had in some of these other series before it goes off the rails and it turns into a job and work and a grind. And so he's having a lot of fun. And that I think uh, your deal in uh, Texas a couple of weeks ago reminded you that drag racing can and is supposed to be fun. And to hear Tony say that, that's uh, that's pretty wild. But yeah, again, I mean, I, I got that quote and it's yeah. it was fantastic. He says, it's a lot of fun to do something different and to see an atmosphere that really reminds me of what it was like in the heyday of having fun in motorsports. And I really think that that's honestly one of the best selling points that our sport has to offer. I mean, is that there is this weird kind of like no man's land that I feel like we find ourselves in sometimes as a sport where we're not on that level of Formula One, obviously, uh, perhaps, you know, not on the level of NASCAR in some instances. But man, there's a special thing that exists here in drag racing where you're able to compete at a professional level, but perhaps maintain a, a secondary business or a primary business for that matter. There, there's a real special place for drag racing, I think, in the motorsports ecosystem. Does that make sense, Mike, where mm -hmm. you can do this race at a, at a high level, but you can still kind of do, handle other things, do other things, pursue other interests, whatever, but you can come out and be a part of this and really go have fun at the racetrack. And I think nice Tony even said Tony something like that to in one of his quotes is that drag racing is its own island or something to that effect that it, you know, what, what goes here, what applies here, the way this sport uh, is, is different than all other, all other motorsports. And I've always thought that, but to hear Tony say that, that's, that's pretty wild. So do you think that we we're, I saw a comment that was, and I think this was the same thing that we were concerned about with Travis Pastrana is what happens if he comes in and makes it look easy? What if he comes in, qualifies number one, wins the race, cuts double O lights all throughout the weekend? Is that problematic? I mean, what's your take on that? 
I don't think so. I mean, he's got a good shot at it because he's in a he's in a top flight car, a car that really is like a stepping stone for a lot of people that have gone on to to race top fuel, uh, which all top alcohol dragster, especially the injected nitro cars, are kind of that stepping stone. But um, I I, I want to see him do well, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wish or hope that he struggles. Uh, and even if he's out there doing well, I'm sure we're gonna get some behind the scenes. Uh, content some quotes that are expressing what he's going through and explain any difficulties that he is having so that will be interesting to see if we can get him on you know various other sporting broadcasts you know he shows up on an, a nascar broadcast or an indycar broadcast or any of those circles and starts talking about you know his experience racing and in, in uh competing in drag racing i can't imagine it being anything less than positive for our sport. I mean, we need that continuing validation that somebody out there preaching the gospel, you know, it's talking about all the great things about our sport, many of which we take for granted. I think we're going to see the dude be very successful. I just seeing his, he's clearly committed to the craft, no matter what it is. I think that he's going through, he's detail oriented. He's, uh, a composed guy. I mean, you, you'll hear him talk about being nervous and he gets nervous right before he goes up there and he feels pressure not to let anybody down. But he's also, I mean, he's been there. He's done that. And I, I don't imagine this being one of those situations where we see, you know, the nerves get the best of him, right? I just don't, I can't hardly imagine that being the case. And I would love to yeah. see him. It, I honestly think that there is a risk of it being, of him overshadowing everything else that goes on in Vegas. But I think that that is a worthwhile thing. Like if that's what happens and Tony Stewart's performance overshadow, overshadows right? it, we, we, I, mean, we I don't have, think it's bad. We have too much other cool shit that's happening in Vegas that we're going to talk about with these NHRA Pro Championships coming down to the wire. Uh, I just think it's going to put more of a spotlight on the race and on top alcohol. And my question is, what's next? Are we going to see, is Tony going to run a partial schedule in top alcohol next year? Is he going, what, you know, what's his, what's the, what's the next step? from here that will be inter interesting to see for 2023 i have to there was something that pastrana said that resonated with me that i think applies to tony i we've had this conversation internally like does is tony stewart setting the stage for a full pull like to go out and compete for a championship i find it Curious at the bare minimum. I don't I know that a guy busy. like him. He's got too much think, going on. He's got too I don't know much that he can run 18 races, but do mm -hmm. you think that he could try to keep himself in the top 10 and then run the entire countdown? I mean, we've seen that maybe, done before. Maybe something like that, but he's got way too much going on. I think he's got a lot of prior commitments. Just did this SRX deal that he's you know committed to run the full series there. So I think it would be, I mean, he could do it. This is the guy that did the the double, the Memorial Day double. Uh, so he could definitely do it, but I, I think at this point with everything else he's got going on, that he's just going to slowly wade a, a little deeper into the pool as time goes on. I'm anxious to see how it plays out, dude, no matter what huge victory for the sport of drag yep. racing, kudos to everybody involved. Um, and I would encourage everybody to be paying attention. We need this for that sportsman category, especially top alcohol dragster is birthing a slew of stars for our sport side note. We'll talk about this in depth a little bit later, 
But for instance, Lyle Barnett is actually going to attempt to get his top alcohol dragster license the Monday after Vegas behind the wheel of Randy Myers, top alcohol dragster, uh, a guy who has generated a slew of stars. I mean, we've seen all the force drivers come up through the A-Fuel ranks, come up through top alcohol dragster. Alex Lofton is a product of top alcohol dragster. Um, Megan Meyer, Rachel Meyer, Julie Natas. Um, the list goes on. It's Jasmine a great, Salinas in there. Jasmine now. Salinas. Uh, it's a fantastic place for people to hone their skills and get comfortable in those cars. The driving mechanisms, all those things are are, are very similar. So I'm glad to see this particular class of drag racing get some star power. Not that it hasn't had it, but get some real measurable, significant star power involved because I think they'll all benefit from it. And hopefully NHRA harnesses it. Diving into the NHRA championship scenarios, I think... Um, Perhaps let's let's talk about the ones that seem to be the most predictable. Let's dive into Pro Stock. Obviously, Pro Stock, we're door slammer centric guys here at Drag Illustrated. It's no secret. I'm curious, what do you make of the situation? Erica Enders heads into the NHRA Nevada Nationals with a significant point lead. I believe 165 points up on teammate Aaron Stanfield, 195 points ahead of uh, rival, arch rival, NHRA legend, Greg Anderson, how do you see this thing playing out? I don't know that it's going to take something of an act of God to, to keep Erica from her fifth world championship. Yeah, it really will. Those are the only two guys that have any hope of catching her. And with the way that she performs in Las Vegas, really at the end of the season in general, but especially at Las Vegas, she's got uh, 10 win, or, or if she wins this weekend, it will be her 10th, which would be the most of any pro driver and so that's going to be tough. And all she has to do is go a couple of rounds to put this thing away. So in my opinion, she's won four out of, out of the, or uh, I'm sorry. What was the yeah. number that we got from Josh? Three out of the four playoff races. I was, I was getting ahead of myself, but with that kind of domination at the end of the season, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, but uh, you know, I, I certainly couldn't put it past Stanfield and Anderson, two of the best to, that are in the class right now, but Erica's just been. If she goes, a, above if everybody. she goes around further than Stanfield, it's locked up. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure they're going out there. Let, let's win this deal. I, I had had some conversations with some people involved in the team, and they were kind of saying, if we can semi our way out, like in Dallas, if we can get to the semis in Dallas, if we can get to the semis in Vegas, we got this thing sewed up, and. I think they're going to look to go out with a bang here. I I wouldn't at all be surprised for you know her to. They're going to be swinging from the fences, try to get every one of those baby points. The the performance in Dallas for me was extremely yeah. telling. The low ET of every round of qualifying and eliminations. I anticipate them carrying that with them to Las Vegas and looking to do the exact same thing again. I mean, it's a real you know ted nugent rock and roll kick type of situation i mean they're trying to go out with a bang and while, we're, while we're talking about erica we got to give a shout out to our guy chase freeman he's in the comments oh, yeah. here a little bit ago this man has hauled magazines around the entire country for us all year so that we could have magazines at the track and uh we appreciate Thank you what for you that, do chase. man you're the man no, it's, uh, yeah, it, we really appreciate it, dude. Taking these magazines all over creation is crazy. <laughs> like all 2000 magazines are loaded up. Sorry about yeah. that. Appreciate it. Hope it doesn't impact. I, the old, I, I uh, feel bad every time he calls me and I have to tell him how many magazines and how many boxes I want him to load on his rig. And I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. He's like, no, man, no, no sweat, no sweat. So one of the best guys out there for sure. Well, now we change printers and there's less magazines in each box, right? So there's probably yeah. even more boxes. Yeah, there are. I, I brought him up to speed on that. He had to redo his math. 
Uh, what a bummer, <laughs> right? Oh, well, yeah. what do you do? Do you think that there, what, what's this do for Erica in terms of legacy? You know, obviously we've got Greg Anderson, who's won six pro stock championships. I believe the other one's Greg. I mean, there's, uh, or Jeg Coughlin, excuse me. Is she quickly making an argument as like the best ever? I mean, I know that we throw that around kind of, and, and we're always talking about our Mount Rushmore, but I mean, obviously there's some people who've, Warren Johnson, Lee Shepard, Bob Glidden, Grumpy Jenkins. I mean, pro stock has generated, there's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of rich history there. Is she, I got. I mean, I'm curious, man. Does five world championships put her in that conversation for the best ever? Man, it it's, I don't know about that, but it puts it on the Mount Rushmore like we've talked about. And maybe I, I would say she's the best of this era, which I would call like 2010 till now, uh, or, or maybe something like that. I think Greg had maybe 2000 to 2010. He was the the king of that era. I know Greg's, Greg's had some success uh, post 2010 as well. But if you're trying to divide this up into eras, I think you've got, like you named Grumpy, you named uh, Bob Glidden. You've got guys that dominated their era. And, and Erica's dominated this, you know, mid 20 teens to now era. So that she's, she's still got a little bit to catch up as far as championships. But I think five definitely puts her on the Mount Rushmore pro stock. Will this win, if she was to win in Vegas, I think it would be career win 44. Yep. I believe. I think Dallas she's was getting 43. Close to, she's getting yeah. close to Angel. Angel's got 45 Wallies to her credit. So we're, we, we could see her crest to that or match that number, I suppose, this year. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming she'll be back to defend her crown in 2023. She's going to be yeah, the winningest. Yeah, she's not done yet. She's no, not she done. Ain't done I mean, it, it, she comes, she's still got a lot of time to surpass all records in pro stock. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But right now, yeah, I mean, you, you can't take anything away from what they've done. It's just been incredible the last couple of years. And like I always say, the story of where she started and the perseverance through some of those dark days and kind of that's what made the, made her the driver she is, made this team what it is. That's, that's the story to me and you know can't lose sight of that i couldn't agree more i think she's going to rapidly have herself in a greatest of all time conversation especially like you said when you consider the fact that she's probably she could easily race for another 5 6 years easily um that's not i don't think that's and and even beyond that yeah i would I mean, say 5 to 10 i mean 10 just, it really depends how long how long she wants to keep doing it Right. I mean, and if you, I mean, you, you try to factor in some of those things about like life away from racing, but when you're doing what she's doing right now, do you think that she's going to start to like feel some pressure? Like, Hey, there's an opportunity here to be. I think she's already feeling that. I think that yeah, she's, think when she she's too. now she's in striking distance of some of these records and of Angel. I think once that started to become a reality, I think that's what's continuing to motivate her. How much, how much stock do you put in? Like, we got a comment here from Jerry Kuhn from YouTube. Uh, shout out, Jerry, for watching along. The difference between Erica and Glidden and WJ is that they crew chief their own cars. She's more of a driver. I think that's something that's going on that's across where the we board. Are. But yeah, that's where we are yeah. as a sport, R really. I mean, name, but could it, name could anyone you guys, else. Could you, not also, could you not also argue that at the height of Bob Glidden and Warren Johnson's success, they were the only people on the property with really fast, like top-rate fast stuff? Does that yeah. make sense? We, because we talked to Greg about you, this in, in Texas, and he he sort of uh, alluded to that. And 
WJ obviously had Greg in his corner for, for many, many years, but those were the days where, yeah, you, every, you know, drove the rig, the, the Ricky Smith style, drove the rig, put up the awning, tuned the car, did all the maintenance and repair, and then drove it. That was kind of drag racing in that er in those eras. And it's just name anyone else besides Greg Anderson, who's the, who's their own crew chief in pro stock anymore. I mean, there's are, another are, comment are there here any? that says, you know, uh, does Erica win if you make her drive any of the other bottom 15 teams? I have a hard time saying people are the best drivers when so much goes in to being a winner in drag racing. It, it's very difficult. I mean, I got to tell you, though, pro stock is probably the class where the driver has as much input on the ultimate success or failure of that particular pass. I would say... Yeah probably the most in all of drag racing. I mean, there's a lot on the shoulder of those drivers and it's not, it's not just cutting the light and hitting shift points. I mean, it's silly things about how much you drag the clutch pulling into the water, how much you drag your foot off the clutch pedal backing up from the burnout. And there's so many things that go into this, whether or not a run is successful. I mean, even if you, you know, not to mention all the, the tuning and crew chiefing aspects that go into it. But I think, I really do think that you could put Erica, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I think you could put Erica in any of the KB or Elite Motorsports cars that have been the top performers in 2022. And that's no shot at anybody, but you, you put her in any of those cars, and I definitely think that she can win in them, any one of those cars. Matter of fact, I would say you could probably put her in any car at some of the fields we've seen this year. I think you could definitely put her in any car from one to 16 and expect her to win the race. I yeah. Really do. And on the flip side of that, I think you could take someone who doesn't have a lot of experience driving pro stock, put them in Erica's car and not qualify. So it's, it really I does. It really does in pro stock. The driver affects the performance of the car more than any other class. I couldn't agree more, man. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Let's uh, continue down the line here, and we'll actually make the jump over to a funny car. This looks like a category NHRA funny car this year has been fun. I mean, nitro racing in general has been about as fun as I've ever seen it, fun as I've ever remember following it. There's a ton of competitive cars, and this one is going to likely come down to the wire in Pomona. Mike Height, Robert Height, part of the John Force Racing Conglomerate, leads Ron Caps by 10 points. He leads Matt Hagen. By 76 point Hagen, uh, in a story we actually ran on dragillustrated.com earlier this week, called these last two races of the season must win. I mean, he made no bones about it. I've got to basically win out if I've got a shot at this deal. Uh, Ron Caps, you know, he he has kind of intimated that he's he wanted to stay close. He knew that if he could stay within striking distance, he could be a problem come Vegas and Pomona. But Robert Height, I think this is a closer. I really do. I think there's a guy out here that is. He went into the season saying, hey, I want to win my 60th race this year, but I know I'm going to need to win 61, 62, 63, and so on if I want to win a championship. And he didn't shy away from it. I got to tell you, those are three titans of funny car drag racing, right? There's a there's a championship there, uh, multi-time champion in Robert Height, multi-time champion in, in Matt Hagen and Ron Caps. I don't know that we could ask for a better situation. How do you see it playing out this weekend in Vegas? I agree with you. I think, well, I don't, I don't know about this weekend in Vegas, but I do think that height there, that team with proc and going into Pomona, their sponsors race that I, I think it's going to come down to the wire. And at that race, they're going to show out. And, and I really think that they're, they're just on a path, even though caps has made it 
interesting and you know winning in in dallas uh he's really come on strong here in the second half of the year but i i i really think it's going to be it's going to be height so this is really the, the the far and away the closest battle between two cars going into these last two races with 10 points only separating do you agree that it's a huge feather in the cap of the Tony Stewart racing operation to be in championship contention in year one? I don't know that anybody now, granted, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of these parts and pieces were uh, absorbed, I guess you would say, from Don Schumacher racing. It's not like everything they did was a start from scratch. There was some continuity there amongst the crew specifically, but there's no doubt that there's a lot of a lot that goes into starting over, right? Starting a, a new program. I have to say that it's hopefully positive and Tony Stewart and everybody involved with that deal is feeling proud of what they've accomplished because I don't know very many instances where a brand new funny car team comes out a single car operation like that and thrusts themselves immediately into championship contention. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the best on that team, best parts, uh, a team with continuity. Um, you've got one of the best crew chiefs, but one of the best drivers, team owners. So they were set up for success, which what's been interesting is that it really hasn't translated the same way over in, in the top fuel side of it. But I, I do think that we've seen some progress there as well. And we'll see maybe a, a leap forward next year. It also looks to me like there is Robert Hyde has a, there has been a precedent set that he's not at all afraid to race from behind and, and stay hungry. He, he was, I believe he has the record for who's come from furthest behind. He came from, he squeaked into, I can't remember year, which year it was, but he squeaked into the countdown, a much controversial deal. There was, you know, supposedly John force took a dive, you know, that whole thing at Indy trying oh to get him into the show. Right. And he makes it into the countdown and goes on to win the championship. So I think having the, the tables turned here and racing from out front, we talk about that being a difficult thing to do, staying up, staying motivated, uh, weathering everybody's best shot. Every time that Robert Height rolls to the line, he is getting that team in the other lanes. Not only are you driving for John Force, the best to ever do it, right? Not, are you, not only are you, you know, being supported by a major league, you know, sponsor, a massive corporate partner, but you're a guy that, you know, you're, you're is known for winning. Right. It has a successful track record. I find it it's going to be fun to see what happens because he's he going to have, to have his... a little bit of an edge to him. When we, agree, when we had him man. on the show in Indy, you know, he's he's much more. He's usually kind of your, you know, middle of the road, neutral guy. But he he had a little edge to him when we interviewed him uh, at John Force Racing in Indy. And I to me right there is when I said, all right, this there's something different this year. And this guy's going after it. So uh, definitely my pick to, to win. I don't know what has happened, but I feel like we're seeing a lot of that where there's yeah. some rougher edges some maybe or sharper yeah. edges, some chippiness that's going on in the NHRA pro ranks that's long overdue. I, I get everybody wants to be buddies and everybody can be buddies, but there's nothing wrong with the air of highly competitive or high competition. Let's lean into it. Let's not uh, beat around the bush here. We're all out. We're trying to win this thing. And I think that everybody's tried to kind of be polite and and you know there's so much pressure especially in this day and age with social media like you're going to get ripped apart if you say this you're going rip, to get ripped apart if you say that but it does seem like a, a good number of these these folks in the sport of drag racing are just saying what they think and living with the consequences do you think that top fuel uh this is it's been a fun one to watch all year long but after a couple of significant stumbles from some real players in dallas at the nhra fall nationals it would appear that 
Justin Ashley has this deal. I mean, he is in as sweet of a spot as you can ask for. I mean, what do you make of this whole scenario? Do you think we're going to see uh, Justin crown a champion in, in the coming weeks? He's in a good spot, man, and he's hot at the right time. If you'd have told me at the, be at the beginning of the year that Justin Ashley was going to be leading the points and you know sitting in the catbird seat going to the last two races of the year, I, I think everyone would have called you a liar with all of the competition and top fuel. Uh, but this is a guy that can cut a light. This is a, a experienced team, uh, experienced crew chief on there that have made some stellar runs the, the last couple of races winning Texas. I really think sort of sent a message and it's really put everyone on their heels, but you've got uh, Brittany who, you know, dominated really through the early part of the year, especially performance wise uh, and in qualifying who they've had a little stumble here. The last couple of races, as we get down to the end, can they recover for the last couple of races? Uh, but to me, it really comes down to, Brittany or or Justin. Th those are really my picks. He leads Brittany by 82 points. Antron Brown by 84, who, side note, earlier this year said that Justin Ashley is the toughest competitor in the class, which I found to be interesting, especially when you've got guys. He said that on like our Doug show, Pereira. right? He, we yeah, had both of them on the, on the show at PRI, and he said something to that effect. The Justin but Ashley's Antron's the toughest had a hell of a competitor season in the class. Too. Really it's been has, great man. to see Antron have the season that he's had he's definitely in contention but to me if i had to guess kind of the same way we talked about uh height with proc with Brittany, with grub grubnik in her corner you, you can't rule anything out these last couple of races so we'll we'll see but justin ashley's on a roll and I think Antron Brown is guilty of that as well, getting on a roll at the right mm -hmm. time, right? I mean, they didn't have the greatest start to the season, but they have been really, really good throughout the countdown. And I don't think that's a team that you can count out. Brian Karate, Mark Oswald, there's a lot of history there. They've worked together for a long time. They've been in these situations before. It does look like the door. I mean, I, I read uh, Dave Densmore sent out a great press release on behalf of Steve Torrance Racing earlier this week. It's on uh, dragillustrated.com if you'd like to check it out. But you know they're not ready to concede the title, but it's it's going to be a it's it would take some significant happenings in the sport for for Steve Torrance to to get number five. Yeah, interesting world, man. I, I'm with you. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season that Justin Ashley was going to be more than likely the you know absolutely the favorite to win the Top Fuel World Championship, second year driver, shocking to me, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I mean, not, not that's that I a don't team think on the he's rise, capable though, of it, but man, what a deal, right? That's a team on the rise. They've got it together. They've got some good backing. I think they're even going to have a, what an expanded partnership with Phillips Connect next year. We saw the CEO slash owner or, or uh, in Indy, know, whatever yeah. his in Indy sort of talking about how enthusiastic he was about everything they're doing. So yeah, that's a team that's on the rise and one that we didn't expect going into the year, sort of overshadowed by some of the more established names in the class. And he did a dabble briefly in sportsman racing. I mean, he's another one that had his start behind the wheel of Randy Myers, top alcohol dragster. And that's kind of where he, he started out, but it's, it's interesting because I wonder sometimes if it's advantageous to head into the pro ranks without a whole bunch of like baggage. From well, they say you know years and years yeah. of racing in juniors and super habits. comp and learning bad habits. Does that make sense? Because I do wonder how it is. Because I think that there are those that would argue like, oh man, what's the story there? He you know went straight into top fuel essentially, but maybe that's really been the secret sauce. I mean, I think about the success that Vincent Nobile had. From what I understand, Vincent Nobile and NHRA Pro Stock, uh, the first time that he ever drove a car with a clutch 
It was an NHRA pro stock car. But like as, to your point, he's going in without any established bad habits, without any, you know, hiccups in his routine. He had to get used to the thing that he's going to be racing every weekend. And it paid off very well. I mean, and the entire those, time Vincent was racing, he was a contender. And those those two examples you just gave are second generation drivers. Vincent grew up at the racetrack watching his dad run pro stock really absorbed a lot of that knowledge. Justin, I'm sure was a young kid during uh, Mike Ashley's funny car era. And so he's been around it. And so maybe that, maybe there's more to that than, you know, working your way up through the ranks. And I also think it's important to be in a car that prepares you for what you eventually want to do. So you, like you learn through osmosis, exactly. you know, and there's, there's something to be said for that. We've talked about it a lot where you just, you see these things happen so many times that there's less, there's less unknown. You've seen what happens on the front and the back. You, you've, you, you're only lacking just that sensation, which obviously can, you know, throw a real wrench in the gears, but it, it does speak to all the kids that have been racing with their parents or whatever and following their family all over creation you are gaining experience. You are gaining knowledge that yeah. will behoove you. We've seen infinite examples yeah. of it, and these are just two really good ones. Uh, the last you think thing, that Vincent Obiak can picture him sitting in his dad's car, you know, at ten years old, dumping the clutch and and running through the gears or something. You know, ment those mental repetitions that you get just being around this stuff. Question: Well, a couple things. One. We posted this on social earlier in the week just to see uh, what people would say. And it, it was interesting because I do think it's way more possible than folks are really giving uh, credit to it. But there's a couple of things that could happen this weekend in Las Vegas. About 22 of the records that we maintain in the Drag Illustrated Top 8 were set in Las Vegas. This is a track that despite the altitude connection, uh, it's obviously, I believe the track's at like 3,500 feet uh, without you know, just standard. I don't know what the exact correction is, especially for this weekend, but regardless, it's known as an altitude track, mm -hmm. but it is, it does have a penchant for setting records. So there's a couple of things that could happen. I'm not saying that it's highly likely, but it is a possibility that we see a 340 mile per hour pass from a top fuel car or a funny car in Las Vegas. It is also very possible that we see 300 miles per hour broken in the eighth mile. Uh, what's your take on that? I mean, there's $30,000 up for grabs on that uh, 300 to the eighth mile program, courtesy of Phillips Connect, cool program that the NHRA put together and announced at the U.S. Nationals. I think we may see that fall this weekend. It's supposed to be really cool, right? I haven't pulled up the weather, but I think it's supposed to be cooler than normal there. Uh, I'm sure dry, which, you know, the, the water grains are you know, sort of fight you when you're trying to make horsepower, but that place can almost be too dry, of course, because it's in the desert. But the uphill slope of the track, Brett Kepner with his incredible story that he did for us uh, a few months back, we should probably drop the link to that in the comments. Um, didn't you say that Brett actually got some calls from some crew chiefs saying, hey, we've always tried to figure this out, but your theory or you know your, your uh, deduction from this track being what? A couple of degrees uphill, and, Not even. And, it's and, less and than loading. 1%, but it, it loads. Yeah. Basically, the starting line, there's a nine-foot increase from the starting line to the 1,000-foot mark. And from the starting line to the quarter-mile mark, it's 11 feet. So the track actually goes ever so slightly uphill. And what we have found, and this is a very interesting thing. I've got a photo that Kepner sent me of, you know, this is kind of the complete opposite. 
of the of Zmax Dragway, where that track runs considerably downhill. It's at a maximum. The NHRA rules uh, state that the track can uh, go up or down no more than one percent. That's the maximum grade. Zmax actually has an uphill water box, and then it kind of crests and then starts running downhill, like twenty feet behind the starting line or something. Well, and like by that. all accounts, and this is interesting. That was done on purpose because I think logic, you know, I mean, especially like just, you know, shooting from the hip logic is that we better want, we want the track to run downhill. The cars are going to be faster. And I think right? you, you want that for ET, but Perhaps. for speed, it's the other way around, especially when you're talking nitro and what those engines want. They want to be loaded. And finding that out has been really interesting because to your point, when we ran that article a little earlier in the year that Kepner put together talking about drag racing encroaching on that 340 mile per hour mark one of the things that kind of was alarm not alarming but of interest to all these crew chiefs is how are all these records getting set in las vegas and it's yeah it's exactly never made that. any sense to me it's i've never, never made understood any sense it. i think that opened a lot of eyes and hey that's what brad's good for the the stuff that the rest of us aren't even thinking about well i find it interesting i do think if we don't see i'm not I'm not confident we'll see 340, but I do wonder if this weekend is the 300 mile per hour. I, I was going to ask is that you a big deal one, to you. Well, I was going to ask you which one do you think is more likely, and I I agree that I think the 300 and the eighth mile is more likely because of the bounty on it, and it's kind of what they're gunning for right now, and, and it almost well I, I don't want to say easier, but if if we go run 340, what's going to happen? Well, are we going to get some kind of rev limiter change? Are we going to get something happening that's that, that these crew chiefs don't want? Is that why they're able to run, kind of run up right against it and not surpass that? And but there's almost being encouraged to run 300 in the eighth mile. So I think maybe you'll see them push harder in the first half of the track to go 300 in the eighth than than you will for the for the 340 because that could create as, as many problems as it does good things for the sport. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's exactly what we're going to see happen. Unfortunately, fortunately, however you want to look at it. I, I think that there's some real repercussions that will come from hitting 340. There are those that like to argue there aren't. I've had multiple people. We actually heard some of this conversation when we were touring John force racing earlier this summer that, Oh no, there's no concern whatsoever about running 340 miles per hour. I call bullshit. I think <laughs> yeah. the first time those numbers show up on a scoreboard, it's going to be a problem. And it's and it, it, it it's a tire problem. And it's not that well, Goodyear or anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just that we continue to, you know, head into uncharted waters and you start to look about the size of the market. Does Goodyear want to invest the time and energy and resources? Supposedly, there's another tire on deck. But are they really going to invest the time, energy, resources and experience the liability of trying to develop a new tire that can safely exceed 340 miles per hour for a class of what in best case scenario, there's 20 of these cars, 20 cars that are capable of that kind of performance, right? right. Not even really. I mean, there's like six, if you really want to talk about <laughs> the cars that will could potentially run 340. And, and doesn't it always seem in drag racing to where you, the, the barriers, it's just right against it. So many people have gotten so close. And then once it's broken, doesn't it seem like it's just a wall that falls and all of a sudden here comes 341, 342, 343, 344, 345. I think that would be the fear is that kind of once they get there, it just seems, I don't know if it's a psychological thing, if sort of the, the data that's flowing around in the pits starts to, you know, trickle out and everyone starts 
picking up a little bit. Then all of a sudden, before we know it, we're at 345. That's and then then where do we keep going from there? That's when you start to see the changes and and Goodyear maybe saying, hey, we, we want no part of this. I think there's a real risk of that. And there's actually an interesting comment here. Is the 300 and the eighth mile bounty situation just NHRA getting fans used to the eighth mile numbers for a future switch? If you remember, David Hance, a uh, longtime promoter of the Shakedown in E-Town, um, a, a very vocal person in the drag racing community, a, a larger than life character, a great guy from New York City. But he's actually been on a campaign almost all of 2022 saying that drag racing needs to be eighth mile. We're going to preserve a lot of these categories. We're going to reduce uh, you know, cost. We're going to increase safety, all these things. Do you think that that's a possibility that the NHRA ever goes to eighth mile across the board? Maybe eventually, my head around. but I don't see it happening in the immediate future. I mean, I had a conversation with a team owner this morning who all but told me that he would rather sell everything that he has as compared to race eighth mile. I mean, that it's such a polarizing combination. Like, a lot of people go to race NHRA because they, they want to run quarter mile. And I feel like it's, it's one of the main differentiating factors for an HRA at this point, because so much it's, else has gone eighth mile. We talk about that a lot. And I, it, it would be, you're going to all these quarter mile tracks, all these facilities, all these tracks have stands all the way down to the end to the thousand foot or quarter mile mark. And so you're going to say, Hey, we're, we're only going to run to half track. Those, those uh, seats down at the very end, what we're going to put tarps on them or something. I don't know. It just, to me, it's, to me, it's a bad look for that alone, for the venues and for that, I, I think that'd be a hard sale to SMI. Like we talked about earlier to a lot of these partners that NHRA has, it's not as, it's not as easy as it sounds to make that switch. It would be the thousand foot deal. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I can make an argument that's much more valid for returning to quarter mile <laughs> than going to eighth mile. You know what I mean? Like I think that the pathway, and I almost wonder if the resistance would be similar. I mean, I think your fans would massively resist it. I mean, we've already seen, like I said, polarizing reaction to the quarter mile to a thousand foot. If you go from a quarter mile to a thousand foot, from a thousand foot to eighth mile, you're going to have an uprising. These, these race fans, it's problematic as it is. I almost wonder if the answer wouldn't be to say, hey, we're going to spend the next five to seven years devising a plan to return to quarter mile racing and maybe slowing the cars down considerably, because I don't know that it's that important that they run 340. I think they have to run over 300 miles per hour. And I think that you need to have a whole slew of cars that can do it. That's what we really, what has made this year so exciting for NHRA top fuel and funny car is that it's not the same cast of characters. It's not just the Don Schumacher teams that are succeeding or just the John force racing teams that are succeeding. There's a lot of really competitive cars. Mike Salinas was a player, big time player early in the season. He struggled a little bit later in the year, but I mean, it was cool to see Mike Salinas, Justin Ashley, these one car operations, Steve Torrance, Trip Tatum wins the Gator Nationals, a part timer, right? I mean, you got Buddy Hole out here. Doug Foley had a really, really strong start to the season. Josh Hart, another independent uh, race team owner and driver, having a fantastic year. He's got some wins under his belt. That's what's been so exciting about it. I don't think we want the class to get even more top heavy, right? Where it's just that that's the magic that's happening right now is there's a lot of competitive cars more so in top fuel than funny car. But I think the move needs to be, how can we get more cars competitive, more cars racing? That's got to be the goal. If, unless the NHRA is like resigning themselves to at some point own all the cars and do like a monster jam type of thing at some point. I'm not sure. 
We'll see, man. Let's move on to uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle. Wrap up our championship talk. Yeah, man. Um, what do you got? Where? What's the latest? Uh, yeah, what's the latest on Pro Stock Bike? Matt Smith out front. Yeah, Matt Smith out front, man. It's really a two a two bike race between him and Gladstone. And Gladstone struggled a little bit after getting hot, sort of in the second part of the year. Uh, and we've seen Matt Smith sort of continue to be consistent. It really, to me, seems like his championship to lose. I agree. We're about to see him really throw himself into the greatest of all time conversation when it comes to to pro stock motorcycle for sure. He is, we've talked about a lot, his, his footprint in motorcycle racing, it's incredible. The amount of teams that he helps, the amount of things that he has going on, but to see him be able to do all that, tune multiple bikes, race with his wife, have all this stuff going on, and also go out and get the job done himself on his own motorcycle, it's a really incredible story. And I, I venture to say that Matt Smith's got a, you know, he, he's going to have to, someone's going to have to really sneak up and take this from he's him. He's also, I don't have any stats in front of me, but historically good in Pomona. So that's, that doesn't bode well either. Yeah, it's interesting, dude. I don't know. It would be fantastic to see a fresh-faced guy like Joey Gladstone come out, but I think he's made his presence yeah, known he's had in a hell 2022. Of a he's had a hell he's, of a year. Yeah, he's um, definitely a player, man, but just the experience and, like you said, the footprint of Matt Smith can't take anything away from him. He's he's on that Mount Rushmore of Pro Stock Motorcycle for sure. Yeah, he's etched in stone. There's no doubt about it. Let's uh, switch gears here a little bit. There's actually one last thing I do. I mentioned this right at the beginning of the show, um, I believe, but this is an interesting thing, kind of going back to the importance of these feeder series, and it will be a good segue into No Prep Kings conversation because as we mentioned at the start of the, at the top of the hour, the final race of the season, man, race number, what, 15, Mike? I believe so. Yeah, race number 15, I believe, for the Street Outlaws No Prep King Series going down this weekend at the Texas Motorplex. They have had to adjust the schedule. We've got a really bad forecast on Friday. So instead of contending with rain all day, they've decided to move the event event from Friday, Saturday to Saturday, Sunday. Uh, but this is where it, uh, it all comes down to this, man. Ryan Martin kind of been off his game the last few races, uh, but looking to seal the deal on a, what, yet another no Prep Kings Championship, put a bunch of money in his pocket. He's been doing that all year long. But before we talk about that, uh, the futures category, right? This is just kind of as a segue. Could The futures thing has been a real point of contention in No Prep Kings, right? We've seen a bunch of, not a bunch, but we've seen people dive into that and kind of you know quickly thereafter dive out. Uh, earlier throughout the summer, really, Manny Bajinga, in a well-known racer in the radial tire scene, comes out goes I think wins four races in a row in the futures category um, kind of trying to make his case for getting involved in the invitational getting the invite to move on up if you will uh, never came decided to to pursue other interests we got Marty Robertson showing up there's uh, there's some movement in the futures category and it seems to be working for no prep kings I know there are people that would like to see it a little bit more defined how you actually get into the show but is Top Alcohol Dragster Nitro Racing's futures? Because we're going to see Monday, from what I understand, I had a conversation with Lyle Barnett this morning. He is attempting, uh, or he will attempt to get his Top Alcohol Dragster license this Monday following the NHRA Nevada Nationals. I don't know what that means for this young man's future. Um, it tells me that he's, he's looking to race something that burns nitro. Um, very, very interesting thing. And I know that there's some some news to come in the, the days and weeks ahead. But... Is that what top alcohol dragster is? I mean, and did you know about the Lyle thing? Are you excited about that or is that bad? 
No, I, it's one. Yeah, it's definitely Top Fuel's feeder series. I think that a lot of people that go race that category only intend to stay there temporarily until they get a feel for the car and then hopefully have a top fuel ride or, or something waiting in the wings. Um, as far as Lyle racing top alcohol, I think it's awesome. I think Lyle is sort of becoming a little bit of that guy that will drive anything. The mentality, a little bit like Alex, a, a, a few others that will jump in anything and doing whatever it takes to, to stay out there, to become relevant, to attract marketing partners. And, and so, I think it's a good move. It, it could it could lead to big things. What it means for next year, for the future, I don't know. Uh, we haven't had any intel on that yet, but um, we'll we'll see where that goes. So, uh, as far as the feeder series in No Prep Kings, I think that the one thing I want to see there, and we had Bodie Jr. on here talking about it last week, and and sort of, I don't know, skirted around it, you know, for obvious reasons. But what does it take to get into those? into the class and and will we see no prep kings make sort of a structure that says this is the pathway to the invitational could that be one of the changes we see or are they just going to continue to treat it the way they do now my guess is that they're not going to fix what's not broken right i really believe that the that's the they've created an era of air of exclusivity with the no prep kings invitational and i don't they probably don't need to fix anything. I, I do think the market there, the question that needs to be asked in my opinion is, is there a market for a, not necessarily a more organized, but a more open, open to all readily available, no prep series, right? Uh, we were actually talking about this yesterday with, with JT during our team call that, you know, is there a world where no prep, where it's the no prep, racing association and they're hosting national events and maybe you get some participation from the murder novas and dave comstocks and ryan martins but anybody who wants to enter can do you think that that because i almost think that that is the better answer than to well we've kind of some of that magic's in the yeah anyways go ahead what were you gonna say i think on a regional level that's happened right in the last yeah. few years there there've been some some no prep races that aren't televised or, or or maybe on flow or something like that and attract a few of these big names but not on a national touring level and it it would just be interesting to see what that's able to do without the pop that TV gives you that's a great point because a lot of people i believe underestimate how much of the no prep king movement has been fueled by cable television I'm not saying that there aren't great, there's not great, great racing. There absolutely is. I think there's some great promotion that goes into it. And I think you've got some, a real cast of characters. There's some real deal star power and some guys that are doing hard work for the series. I, I None of these guys, I mean, I see the effort that, you know, Disco Dean Kern, Kearns goes through promoting his operation. I see what Mike Marillo and company do. Obviously, Justin Swanstrom, very active on social. Ryan Martin, uh, Dave Comstock, Comstock, Murder Nova, all those guys do a great job for the series. But man, cable television is the driver there. That is what has put that deal on the map and keeps it relevant, keeps it in front of everybody. They've got so many hours of programming on Discovery. It's almost unavoidable. And that is, in my opinion, that's driving the bus. So... 
would an event, would a standalone no prep event, a World Series of no prep or something like that, would that move the needle the same way if you didn't have the television exposure? I don't know. I think I think on a on a one off basis, maybe, but a, a national touring series might be difficult without it. And and it'd be interesting to see what who you were able to draw and what it ended up looking like, because no matter what anyone tells you, and they all love to say, ah, the TV, nah, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about TV cameras. I'm not worried about the, all that stuff. I feel like Wrong. that that is what is driving because everything trickles down from that. What they're able to pay these guys the merchandise sales, the ticket sales, the fact that people are breaking down the gates to get in these places to see their, their heroes. Yeah, traffic was backed up TV. for like 10 miles trying to get into steel Alabama this past weekend. Yeah. So it, again, it starts there with, with no prep Kings. And I think everyone that a lot of the, a lot of the hitters in the no prep world have kind of decided, Hey, if we're going to do this, let's, let's go run no prep Kings might as well be on TV and get the, get all the exposure that comes from that. So, I mean, if, if they're able to make it happen. So I, I think you'd have an uphill battle, but maybe on a one-off or a couple races a year, you could have something like that. I don't know. I, I really don't. I don't know what the answer is. I, I think that we don't give, I mean, I see a comment here from drag racing central. It's more about the modern approach to promotion, which in my opinion is why MPK is what it is. I personally think that it's, television that makes MPK what it is. I don't know that it's any sort of like super smart, you know, super high level marketing or somebody that's a wizard with Facebook advertising or has a massive email list. I mean, I've just only recently seen Street Outlaws, No Prep Kings uh, consistently using Facebook advertising. I've only seen a little bit of it. I mean, I do think that they don't go to massive facilities that often when they do they rope off some of the grandstands i know that that was something that i saw earlier this year when mpk went to brainerd you know they're smart enough to point the cameras at the pit side grandstands and not you know the empty grandstand that they have roped off and they're smart enough to know that we need to put everybody in this one to make for a great backdrop for our tv show not a lot of series i think you know take those things into consideration but Man, what's selling those tickets is is cable television. That's a million percent what it is. And I agree with you that what's driving, what's drawing people to it, no matter what they may say, is those bright lights are pretty intoxicating. Those cameras, those, those getting mic'd up, all those things. I've, I've been too close to this for too long to think that that's not the difference maker. I mean, that's what they're after, in my opinion. Now, there's yeah. great competition there. And I think about some of the performances yeah, we see from those cars. from anyone and saying none of these guys aren't badass racers. I mean, you can't say that about anyone out there, but they're, they're, they're usually a little bit humble when it comes to talking about the TV exposure. But I know that that's, it's put a lot of money in a lot of pockets and, and, and sort of set a lot of people on a trajectory to make a career out of drag racing. I completely agree. We were actually having that conversation, uh, I guess, what is it last week we were talking about, you know, where's the best opportunity for a racer. And I think about somebody like, you know, Lyle Barnett, who's clearly, you know, looking to go to the next level uh, to some extent with his racing career. And I, I have to ask myself, like, is that the move or is it to go MPK racing? However, without a clearly defined. That. Yeah, I mean, without Didn't a clearly defined. I think we did. And I think he told us that if he knew he could get on the show, that's where he'd go, um, which is I mean, concerning, I think, is the only way to really explain it. It's a little concerning. However, very difficult to fault anybody that felt that way. Agreed. Hey, 
JT, are you going to join us, man? We got to bring JT in on this. <laughs> yeah. There he goes. This, J- JT's been in the green room all this time, man. I was just watching you guys, man. You, you're, you guys are doing good. We're on a we're, no, it's de- it's definitely TV. I mean, like, yeah, TV just moves the needle, right? I mean, you got people that move out to uh, to become actors and stuff all the time, right? And and what? Just a few percent of them make it. I mean, you can literally go no prep racing and maybe become a star, and then that's going to fund everything else. You're going to sell T-shirts. You're going to you know, do appearances at tracks and everything else. So, I mean, it yes, it's a huge deal. I mean, everybody wants to be a star. Well, I won't say everybody, but there, most people would love to be a star, right? And no, and I mean, comes- I, I don't think. I mean, you don't have a car that's fast and not want someone to notice it, right? And well, so, if yeah. you've got, you know what I mean? It, like, drag racing yeah. is perhaps like the ultimate ego endeavor, well, yeah, and Chrome- especially when you consider the numbers aren't like there's no, there's no, there's not a lot of benefit financially. You ain't going to go out unless you win the million, which we didn't discuss and we should have talked about. My bad. Um, we'll we'll circle back around on that. Um, but man, what a what a deal, right? I mean, you're, you ain't going into drag racing to make a bunch of money, but if you can potentially become famous, yeah, you, <laughs> you know what I mean. If like you that. didn't want, if you didn't want anybody to uh, look at your shit, I mean, you, Chrome would never been a thing. You know, paint would have never been. You, <laughs> you love you'd, Chrome, you'd, man. Yeah, you'd have been rolling out in primer and steel wheels. You know, I mean, really, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it, it moves the needle so much. So we've seen it uh, when somebody gets on the show. Their social media explodes, everything explodes, merchandise sales go through the roof. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's the real deal. You know, it 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 moves the damn needle. And I, mean, I don't even know that you have to have. You don't like. You, yeah, don't you don't have, have to, to have Ryan like Martin. a shtick. You don't have to necessarily be like super suave or sophisticated or cool or or technically savvy. Like you, I think get, so. you're yeah. guilty by association, and it it helps matters. I think absolutely some, helps some matters. of the the sticks kind of go too far, you know, even, you know, when you're watching it, you're like, eh, okay, I, I'm over that now. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I mean, it, it works. Um, we've seen different ways of people have gotten on there, you know, by being controversial or, or just being a good dude or being the business guy. I mean, you know, there's characters and, you know, that they, they put in place on that show. So, you know, I guess find, find where you fit, you know, or, or maybe you can make a storyline and maybe that's how you get in. You know, it's, it, it may not just be showing up. You, you do have to prove that you can show up and show up and show out at all these races. Right. I mean, I think, cause I don't think, can you imagine are- being the guy that like shows up at every race has first class equipment, shit starts, you know what I mean? You're not leaking. You, you're, you've got a first class operation and you go to 15, 16 races all over the country that's a big ask, like for there to be it no is. clear pathway to like, how do I get there? Oh, I got to get embroiled in some sort of controversy. But that's not, well, you know, and, I just and, and wonder, and I, that's I'm not, not a just that I'm saying no, no, no. that there might be, you know, there might be other opportunities or maybe you see a, a way for you for yourself to get in on the storyline somehow. But I think first you do have to prove that you're you're able and willing to show up at all these races. And I don't know that we've really seen. Have we really seen anybody that has? I mean, there's a couple guys that have showed up to, to a lot of races, but but someone that's done it consistently for over a year and, you know, I don't know. I don't I mean, know what the answer about, is on that deal. But. I mean, you think about some of these guys. Mike Bowman was saying online uh, over the earlier this week that he had traveled 20,000 miles in 2022 chasing. I mean, you figure not even maybe six mile a gallon at best. The dude's burning 
3,400 gallons of diesel a season. I mean, the, the, the waters get deep quickly. <laughs> right. right. And he's torn up some equipment. I mean, the cost. Right. Yeah, he just wrecked his car, right? Yeah. So his new car. New car. Right. Right. Built I mean, we car. actually got Kevin I Stevenson, uh, a, a, a certified no prep king insider here in the comments saying that he's actually tried to get Mike Bowman to like talk some shit. Uh, but that's not Mike's character. And I actually and give not, Mike right. kudos because Mike's like the ultimate California cool dude. He's like probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. And yeah, that's just because that's what I see really if every, being. If everybody did that, though. That would get old. Well, you know, and if, it's just not authentic. Right. Like, if you're right. not being your true self. So that's what I'm just I, I think it's a challenge. I don't know that JT, do you think there's any likelihood that the No Prep Kings group paints a clear picture of how to get on the show. No, I agree. Yeah. I don't what think about, it ever happens. What about the actual racing? Let's talk rules. Let's talk combinations. Do you think that they've got the rules where they need to be? Do you think we'll see any changes? I mean, Ryan has dominated again, and it seems like, you know, obviously you got Petty, got, uh, what's his crew chief's name? It's escaping me right now. Um, gosh, dang it. Kevin <laughs> Stevens is going to tell us. Yeah, Kevin. Save us here. But anyway, Javier, that, you yeah, 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 Javi. So. yeah, Javi. Um, are we going to see any rule changes? Uh, I, I haven't really heard a lot about that. that. That seems to sort of take a backseat to a lot of the drama and, and craziness. But are these combinations? Is there parody there or, or, or what can they do? I think they've got a problem, bro. I mean, I, I think that they, I mean, I, I recognize that you've got every combination has won this year to Kevin Stevenson's point. And you see Kyle, uh, Kai King is second in the points with a nitrous combination. So Kelly. he's yeah. Kai Kelly. Is that what I said? What did I say? Kai I think King. Kyle Kai King. King. Yeah. Kyle King. Yeah. He, he works here at Drag Illustrated. Right <laughs> Kai Kelly. He's second in the points with a nitrous combination. Right. So, I mean, it's not like it, it can't be done. He's, he's in the thick of things, but, Kayla Morton's won a couple of races with the Pro Charger combination this year. Ryan Martin's obviously been dominant throughout the season. And I got to be honest, I'm not saying the dude's playing poker right now, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if that has at least crossed his mind that if we win out, there is no doubt that we're heading into 2023 with a significant weight penalty. Something will be done to slow that combination down. And I'm not saying there's any of that. It's I'm not saying it's scripted, but if you don't think that shit happens in drag racing, you're crazy. You're not paying attention. I mean, there have been multiple instances throughout the history. I mean, hey, look at we were just referenced John Force taking a dive against Robert Height to make sure that Robert gets into the countdown. Um, there's various instances of people calling each other out when it's a favorable thing or they're broke or these things happen. I mean, I've seen it in pro mod quarter mile pro mod for a pro modified for a long time where guys are not running their combinations all the way out because they know it's going to result in a rule change that's going to not a favorable rule change. And that was one of the reasons that Stevie Jackson brought out the screw blower earlier yeah. this year in NHRA pro mod was to run the rods out of that thing and show everybody what it will run. And there was a very small contingent of other screw blower cars that were about a tenth off that pace. Right. And one has to wonder, were they not playing poker? I think they were absolutely playing poker. And I think that do you think that in no prep, though, you know, you're not able to get all that power to the ground, you know, for sure, you know, like other races. So. Does the rules make as big of a difference, though, in no prep then, because that is a good point. And and I've thought about that. I feel like different combinations. If you think about like PDRA Pro Boost. 
Pro Charger just dominated the last handful of years. Now we've seen a lot of cars uh, go screw blown. And we mm-hmm. saw Justin Swanster make that switch as well. But it, ne- it hasn't necessarily translated the same way. You don't see screw blowers really dominating over there. It seems to be the Pro Charger combination is the most friendly to the the track conditions that they're working with, is what I would say. It's the most efficient or manageable of all of the power adders. Yeah, that's I think I've heard the phrase or the term raceable, the pro charger being just extremely raceable, that it's it's something that you can it repeats. Uh, And I think the only reason we saw anybody move to a screw blower was largely rooted in reliability. Right. People that is just a extremely reliable combination that's tried and true. You're you're miles away from anything new. Right. I mean, these are this combination C rotor, D rotor, screw blowers have been raced and and run forever. Right. And a lot of these things, it's a high quality piece of equipment, you know. So, this is good. I mean, this is good to see right here. Yeah. Top 10, three pro chargers, three nitrous, two, uh, well, screw blowers. Man, (laughs) I wouldn't want to be on that crew. <laughs> oh, I'm oh, kidding. Boy. Screw blowers and two turbos. So, two crew I mean, blowers that's, that's and pretty, two turbos. That's, that's some pretty good parody right there. It is, man. And it's it's encouraging to see the nitrous cars up there. Um eighth mile, man. There's still there's still a place for them. So yeah, that that right there kind of speaks to the parody. I would like to see a breakdown of where those where those are in the in the standings. Are the three pro chargers at the top? Well, I guess not because you got Kai in there, but um yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. We'll we'll see. You have what, a lot of conversation. You've got a close relationship with Pat Musi. I mean, what's what's Pat's take on the the rule lay, uh, right now? I mean, he's normally a guy that, I mean, for the longest time, the reason you only saw Pat Musi competing in PDRA Pro Nitrous was because he was only ra- he was racing against like combinations. I remember having a conversation with him once. He was wherever turbo go, turbos go, they ruin everything. Hates turbos, hates everything that's not nitrous. What's his what's his stance on it? I don't know that I really talked to him about that. I mean, he's a confident guy and he feels like every time they go out there that they can win. Um, but I, I would say being a savvy racer, like he is, he's, he's always kind of playing it close to the vest and would like a rule change, sort of the Ricky Smith method of, of trying to get a rule change in their favor. Um, but I think they're running that thing really hard and uh, they're actually making some really good passes. Uh, you see the success that, that Kai's had. Um, so I, as, as far as Pat, I think the the grind of the season is what has been a bigger challenge for him rather than racing these other combinations. Uh, when I talk to him, he's like, man, this like this last race of the year, they're like, this is this has been an absolute grind through the whole year and this traveling back and forth across the country. It's it's tough, man. It's super tough, even for an experienced and and well-funded team like Pat. So I think that that is more of an equalizer than the combinations themselves. Is who can some, keep up with that grind? There was some controversy with in in those ranks, wasn't there over the weekend? You guys see any of that? Uh, yeah, I saw a video, but I don't have any info. Yeah, I mean, about- I, that's I just don't know. I mean, we were talking about last week, weren't we? Maybe the week before about uh, you know your teammates and you know if your teammate was, was in it for the championship, you know, w- would you lay one down or, or what would you do? You know, um, the position themselves on the ladder, you know, like we saw in Texas. Uh, so I guess, you know, 
you know, Lizzie and what Kai got paired up on Friday night. Was that right? Well, no, then, they, I think they ended up, I don't think they got paired up. I think they ended up racing each other somewhere in eliminations. I think either okay. semis or somewhere on Friday. And right. I think that's and those where extra the, points could have helped Kai, you know, yeah. close the gap for the, for the championship. But Man, we've seen I, this, I, there, we saw this right like that they weren't going to run the, you know, I mean, kind of the opposite of what we were talking about last time was, you know, it was possibly said, I don't know, there was a couple of posts about it. So who knows who's, what's true or not, you know, right. But that, that well hey you know don't worry we're not gonna we're not gonna run it very hard but then they did <laughs> well if you know pat pat's not gonna <laughs> know, he's gonna right? run it hard yeah. no matter what so if you if he's even if he told you that you're 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 better off not believing it but no, that's a cat and mouse game there right? yeah for sure <laughs> and we it's... saw it we saw it earlier this year i think that's what started the whole fight with jerry bird and, and uh-huh. that team was the the team was orders last year, right or whatever and or yeah whenever that was last year and i, I just think that some some people you know, don't play the team game. I think some people really want to play the team game. I don't think you see it as much in no prep Kings. I think you see that more on the street deal. You see more of the team aspect. And I kind of think that's what it is in, in a, and the, uh, the team aspect of it to me and no prep Kings goes away a little bit. And it's every, it, it's more of an every man for himself situation, but I don't know what discussions or what, what, what the idea is going into the race and then what happens when, when all the chips are down, but it's definitely interesting to see. And I don't think that I saw a comment that was about like putting weight on individual racers. So a really tough deal, but it, it, but it also speaks to the fact that it's very difficult to put weight on a single combination when it's one guy that has been dominant, right? Because you punish all the guys that are still trying to sort that combination out, right? Cause there are plenty of people that are just maybe they're 200 runs behind Ryan and they're not running with him, but now they've got 50 pounds thrown on their combination. It's it's such a I don't ever envy the position of a rule maker in drag racing, especially at this level, because it's a classic example of you're never going to make everybody happy. It's a it's a tough one, dude, for sure. They were trying to take it's, some weight off of the nitrous cars, weren't they? Beginning of the year. I but you get to the point where and, those cars right, can't get a whole lot lighter. And I think that's what a lot of people said was, you know, they're already as light as, as they could get. And so the that rule change didn't really help them a whole lot. I mean, because I think they added some as well on like Ryan's combination, but the the weight they took off the nitrous cars, you know, didn't necessarily help a whole lot. I don't think maybe. Well, I mean, that's what Ricky Smith would always argue in NHRA is that they would like they want to take weight away, but he's like, I can't get that light anyways, and I don't. Yeah, want I think to they did. Didn't they reduce the the uh, nitrous weight in Pro Mod this year when they yeah. when they did those rule changes, which we all said, you know, who's that going to help? Yeah. Unless we want to get to a point where everybody's putting jockeys in cars, which I don't think's the direction. I don't think that's the direction drag racing really wants to go. However, I will tell you, and this is just like <laughs> let's let's dive into some story time or whatever here. And I want to remind everybody real quick that each and every episode of the West Buck Show is brought to you guys by way of our friends at Stroud Safety. Stroud Safety is known for their top quality racing safety equipment, from drag shoots and seat belts to fire suits gloves and blankets, all 100% made in America. Log on to stroudsafety.com today and make sure you tell them we sent you. Guys, I actually spent a little bit of time with uh, the Stroud Safety gang, Tommy and his wife uh, down at, uh, actually, and Tommy's dad, Larry, and his mom, Sue, this past weekend at Extreme Raceway Park for the Midwest Drag Racing Series World Finals. And it was funny, I bumped into a handful of nitrous racers. Um, I'm going to butcher his uh, 
Tony, I can't, I'm butchering his last name, Strachan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, and Keith Haney. Keith Haney was looking lean and mean. He'd lost like 15 plus pounds. That's pretty much the only option for those guys it, with nitrous cars is to lose weight off their body, yeah, you know, because there's that. no more to take <laughs> off the car, right? I mean, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, that's a, a real thing. I, I've talked to multiple guys going, well, the only thing I had left, <laughs> you know, to lose yeah. weight from was was me. I'd my dad, start over my dad did that. my car. Then, my dad did that in the, in the in the mid two thousands. He went on Atkins diet, lost like forty pounds, and it was just to try to get weight off the car. <laughs> Isn't that funny, man? Yeah. I nice. asked a, I asked a buddy of mine that was like bodybuilding. You know, while like, hey man, you know, got any uh, tips or anything? He's like, yeah, you drink too much. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I guess I any I'll any other fun. tips? Do you have oh, yeah. any other tips? Yeah, yeah, because I'm not going to stop that. I mean, I I like having fun. <laughs> um, speaking of the Midwest uh, Drag Racing Series uh, season final at Extreme Raceway Park, a couple things. A, I, I challenge you guys to find me a cooler drag strip, and especially a cooler eighth mile drag strip on the planet Earth than Extreme Raceway Park. Neither of you guys have been there. We, we need to fix that early next year uh, or or late this year killer place i don't know that i've ever seen that much concrete anywhere that's not an airport it's mm, incredible what clyde scott and the gang there galen smith everybody involved with that facility absolutely badass they had a killer uh racetrack this weekend and uh, keith haney in the comments here went to the finals went head to head with ron minix uh in the pierce family's brand new yeah. new to them it's a this is i think and i want to talk about this because I would argue, and I sent this message to Jeff Pierce yesterday, who's the crew chief on a slew of cars in that uh, scene, but specifically the car driven by his uh, longtime friend, Ron Minix, and it owned by his father, Dave. They have this 12-year-ish old Bickle Mustang that they've put a Mark Mickey Turbo 400 and Mark Mickey converter in, M&M transmission out of Jefferson City, Missouri, uh, and a screw-blown Hemi at 92% overdrive, no lockup, and they went 361 in the final against Keith Haney to take the win. And I got to tell you, man, I think that might be now it's 50 pounds lighter than they would be in PDRA Pro Boost competition. But I think that's one of the most impressive cars in the country. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to get around that nitrous problem we were just talking about is to uh, switch to a screw blower. Just go to a, a screw blower. Did you see Ricky Smith in the comments of of one of our posts, or maybe it was even Jeff's post that said, that'll tell you how the rules work. Just jump from a nitrous car to a screw blower and win first race out. And I think he was saying it a little tongue-in-cheek. He, he he did the, the sideways uh, crying laugh emoji, which means, you know, I'm really trying to make a joke here. Uh, <laughs> really trying hard for a joke here i don't know man i it, it really kind of uh, and i know stevie jackson gave you a big hard time told you mike in in charlotte that we hate screw blowers and it's oh, not yeah. the case it, it's really not and i guess if screw blowers are going to become the norm i better get comfortable with it my point is just that it is such a tried and true class dominating program i mean you you really can't tell me otherwise and let's, and, and, and let's back up and not take anything away from jeff pierce one of the smartest guys no in doubt. the game when it comes to tuning ron minix excellent driver so these these aren't guys that have no experience with this stuff and i think ron used ron used to drive a blown car back Dude, in the day right remember, didn't he have like a 58 vet or something yeah he had that and before that he had a 63 corvette and, it, and he actually made history with that car if you remember way back when they went like 601 or 608 
in the quarter mile down at the Super Bowl in Houston, at Houston uh, and Baytown, Texas, when they used to have that big test session early in the season. Uh, he went down there with his 63 Corvette that he, you know, South, Southern Missouri boy, went down there and set the door slammer record. It was an incredible performance. I mean, he's he's got plenty of experience with a screw blower. And Jeff Pierce, I don't know what more you can say. I think he's thrown himself into contention for tuner of the year. I mean, there's there's a slew of guys that I think David Grubnick's in that conversation. I think Jamie Miller may be leading that conversation. But I'm telling you, Jeff Pierce, he is a difference maker for a program. What he's done for Brian Lewis, uh, a, a regular on the Midwest Drag Racing Series Tour, it is almost unspeakable. He's taken that car, that operation to real contention. And he's, you know, they've switched uh, to a different car and whatnot. I mean, there's, they've made improvements to their program, but Jeff has brought a wealth of knowledge and experience that's clearly translating what he's doing. He's, I mean, he's the reigning championship crew chief over there. Joey Oaksis uh, won the championship last year. There's that guy's sharp, but I'm telling you, man, the fact that he could take that Mustang, a 12 year old car, a turbo 400. I mean, you got to remember, it wasn't that long ago that that transmission was largely used in suburbans. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And now it is like the go-to for fast door slammer drag racing. It's incredible. A screw blown Hemi, a turbo 400 and a 12 year old door car just won the Midwest drag racing series season, season ender um, with, and the most impressive run of the entire season, a 361. I mean, it's just really, really incredible. They just brought that car out in Tulsa a couple weeks ago. I mean, they went 365, their third run on the car. What's that say? Like, if you just apply that to the screw blower deal, what's that say about the potential of that combination across the board? I mean, it, I, I mean, I think I we think have to be careful. It, it speaks for itself. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful because, and I'm not, again, if this is what it is, it's what it is. But I do wonder, are we, and I know it's been said before, you know, there's always been a, there's always something that's like the hot thing, but are we seeing, it won't be long till all these things have screw blowers in them, in my opinion. It won't be long. Yeah, I'm going to turn this into a classified. Mike Bowman's selling his Jerry Bickle <laughs> built Chevelle. So yeah, pro anybody looking for one. Hey, Mike, uh, Kevin Stevenson, tell Mike, don't sell that car. <laughs> it's got history, a very, no, no, yeah. no. This is a different car. No, a different, but yeah. Don't sell that car. Um, for a very specific reason. And I see Haney here saying hell no, but it is a concern. I mean, because he can say hell no all he wants, but he had a screw blower car. He, he was considering that. And I, I think that that's a big allure. And I don't, you know, that's a big draw. When you see somebody have the success that Ron Minix has had in the last two races, completely abandoning ship. I mean, see what Stevie Jackson's done in NHRA. I don't know. It's very concerning. You know, I, I'm not saying that I hope that's not the case. And I hope we can send you to see, you know, years and years and years of flat hoods and hood scoops and screw blowers and roots blowers and pro chargers and all this stuff. But I'm telling you what, man, I'm it's definitely something that's on my radar right now, more so than ever before. You got to keep fighting the good fight. People like Keith and and everyone else that continues to to fight the battle with nitrous in these classes with mixed combinations. That's what it's going to take. And that's what everybody's going to have to do. Keith's saying, I sold it before I raced it. it. And that's the only way you sold it. Because I think, you know, if you would have raced it, you'd probably <laughs> still have it. Because um, I hear that a lot. You talk about the guys that raced pro extreme. It took them a while to want to go race any other type of racing. Because once you've raced with a screw blower, most people don't want to go backwards. Most people don't want to go away from it. I don't think we'll see Stevie 
Jackson go from the screw back to a roots. I really don't. You know, I, I really, really don't. And I think you're going to see more and more teams go that way. It's, it's just like eliminating a variable. <laughs> you know, like this thing's going to make all the boost. And I'm not going to have to, you know, caress it or I'm not going to have to, you know, call the right people or be on the right program. This thing makes all the boost, you know, and it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able as a drag racer, being able to eliminate, eliminate one of those infinite variables is pretty freaking convenient. Um, so anyways, I did want to talk about that a little bit. What else do we got guys before we wrap this thing up? And I want to remind everyone, thank you guys again. Uh, we were excited about the opportunity to just talk a little shop here today. We have had a one star studded show after another here recently. We've been on a, a hell of a run uh, in 2022. Uh, thanks almost entirely to all of y'all. So thank you for that. But I mean, it's been Travis Pastrana and Antron Brown and Ryan Martin and Todd Tuttero and Stevie Jackson, one superstar after another. And I told Mike and JT, it's like, man, we need to get on here and just like talk shop a little bit and not have to uh why so shut up yeah yeah <laughs> jt was like all right why. man i'm out on no that. jt's building our pri booth. yeah i, I was yeah. working on our pri booth can you believe it's that time of year yeah no. we got a lot of stuff oh going God. on we are i gotta start training for the lounge yeah <laughs> there's oh my gosh. there's so much going on this type this time of year and we got a big show next week yeah, I was going to kind of with some we'll, big news, right? Uh, everybody kind of needs to circle next Wednesday on their calendar because we've got a uh, seismic announcement coming up next Wednesday um, that I think is going to be a, a needle mover here in the sport of drag racing. So make sure you tune in next Wednesday afternoon, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, because we're going to uh, we're going to make a major, major announcement next Wednesday afternoon. So make sure you're here. Awesome. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Uh, Beans is saying, I want to see Stevie with a nitrous motor in NHRA. I do think that, that that would be spectacular. I'd love to see a run it to the end, you know what I mean? Like literally expire this thing every run to see what a nitrous combination could really run. Because, I mean, we've seen Dean Marinas go 559 with a nitrous car. Yeah. Now, granted, that's a full-blown outlaw and light as possible type of situation, killer conditions. But well, I, I think that, that combination is more competitive than people realize. I mean, I bet the weight was pretty close, especially with the new reduced weight. You can't get that much lighter. I mean, I yeah. don't know that those cars can get that much lighter, you know? I really don't. I really don't. All right. Well, so what else do you guys got? Do we got anything else or we want to get the shoots out? Let's hit the shoots, man. Yeah, man. It's been a it's been a good one. We got I think that Jim Park's saying the talk shop episodes are definitely needed from time to time. I think so. I like to get on here and just talk about all this stuff that's uh that's going on you know there's so many shout things. out jim parks PRI. we need shout the, out jim we need parks. the uh the drink hard racing schedule for 2023 so we can plan accordingly <laughs> yeah i'm sure they're gonna go to the gators i think it's gonna be exciting for the gators to be the first nhra race of the season next year i'm yeah, ready for that big. i'm yeah. i'm here for that that race is already enormous but now that it will be the first of the season a whole different ball game so gainesville is going to be bananas next spring for sure, dude. B A N A N A S. B A N A S. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, and I was trying to think, Mike, what time do you get to Dallas? When do you get to Dallas? Saturday, man. Change my flight due to the uh, schedule change. So Saturday at 1.30. No joke. So you'll be here Saturday at 1.30. From what I understand, it'll be late. It, they'll probably run late Saturday night. And then I guess, will they run that? Do you think that they'll adjust the schedule and try to run Sunday during the day? Or do you think it'll also be a nighttime affair? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen a time change. I, 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 I assume it's just a day change and they'll kind of maintain the same schedule. 
Yeah, I'm anxious. Because those guys are happens. used to racing at night, and I wonder what that would do to the track conditions um, in eliminations. Even though it may not be that hot, I think it's supposed to be what like mid 60s. Yeah, there this weekend, oh, it, awesome. it could change it a little bit. It could change it a little bit. JT, where are you headed this weekend? Golf tournament? Nope, I don't think I got anything. Nothing. Holy cow! Well, I, got, I got a got a birthday party for Dax. And, uh, Why don't yeah, you just stay really... home and just relax and try to just uh, let your body repair itself a little bit and and try to you know get, can you do that? It's, it's needed. Weekend? It's needed for sure. <laughs> you know, like, dude, God dang. You, you've been on a on a run in 2022, dude. <laughs> I have. Have yeah. you ever partied this many weekends in one year? Oh this yeah. Nights? Hell, this is this <laughs> this isn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> this isn't that bad. I didn't. Yeah, you haven't like keeled over in any bars lately, so that's important. no, no. That's very important. Yeah, that's very important. <laughs> Remember that time you keeled over in the office? Yes. Just fell down, oh, boy. Yeah, just, we were real yeah. worried about that. Don't yeah. worry, guys. It's just a mini stroke. Just a mini stroke, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think we packed uh, bags up and headed to uh, Woostock like the next day. <laughs> yeah yeah i, I think actually think did, that's man. right yeah um i'll yeah. tell you my highlight of the whole weekend real quick while we went racing out at extreme raceway park was hanging out with mama sue if you're not familiar with mama sue that's oh, she's mama sue man. cunningham and uh tommy cunningham's mother uh wife of drag racing crew chief extraordinaire larry and uh she Always ready is to party. so full of energy See, she's and telling me she's telling me to keep going yeah <laughs> oh she's spectacular and she is as fired up about drag racing it was so funny i got to the track on friday and she goes do you want to go around and count cars and i said yeah yeah so she wanted to just go count we were going to go count we perused the pits on her little mini golf cart perusing uh counting how many pro mods were there and she's and it's so funny we roll by yeah it's actually uh, those, cool those you know what i'm talking there. about it's yeah. like um yeah they're like they're like half the size aren't they yeah they're like half the size yeah, of a normal mean. golf cart but her and i and the dog we all fit on there pretty comfortably but we burned around <laughs> for quite a while and she's so into the racing it's not even funny if the world would be a better place if there was a whole lot more mama sues out there fortunately Amen. we got her you know so well hey guys thank you all so much for joining us t sorry you're late but uh, we sure appreciate you joining us mike as always all of you please help us spread the gospel of drag racing click like click share click subscribe be a part of this deal tell us what you think send us questions if you want uh we would love to hear from you via email is probably one of the best way to get questions that any of uh, the three of us wes at dragillustrator.com mike at dragillustrator.com jt at dragillustrator.com we love to hear your thoughts feelings concerns whatever else and if there's somebody that you would love to see us interview right here on the show. Let us know because we can probably make that happen. Guys, thanks a bunch, and we will see you all next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Like I said, make sure you're here because we've got a significant happening next Wednesday. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a barn. Be huge. Looking forward to it, man. Barn thanks, barn. guys. Huge. <laughs> Later. Later. We could have probably went.